Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. If you like this podcast, you will love my new anthology called Moms Don't Have Time to Have Kids. Check it out, and you'll hear from 49 authors about all sorts of things moms don't have time to do. All the authors have been on this podcast. Also, check out my TikTok, at with Zibby and Tracy, my other podcast, Sex Talk with Zibby and Tracy. Check out Moms Don't Have Time to Write on Medium. And of course, my new publishing company called Zibby Books. And now back to our daily author interview site and a quick hello from some of my kids. Hi. Hi. Hello. Enjoy the show. Laura Lippman is back on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss seasonal work stories. Since her debut in 1997, Laura has been hailed as a distinctive voice in crime fiction. Recently named one of the essential crime writers of the last 100 years, she has produced 24 novels, a book of short stories, a collection of essays, and a children's picture book, and has been published in more than 25 languages. A New York Times bestseller, she also has won more than 20 prizes for her work and been shortlisted for 30 more. Her 2019 novel, Lady in the Lake, will be produced as a television series starring Natalie Portman and Lupita Nyong'o. Lipman lives in Baltimore and New Orleans. Welcome, Laura. Thank you for coming back on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss your latest collection of short stories and novella, Seasonal Work. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure. I was kind of obsessed with seeing the interior of a ballroom with all book pages <laughs> plastered on. <laughs> Did you actually see this image in real life? Is this a fantasy? How can uh, we recreate this? It's a fantasy. I'm the closest I've ever come to that. And it was done long after I wrote the short story is last year 
was it last year? And at some point during the pandemic, who knows when, what time is anymore? I took, I must have taken proof pages, or actually maybe I took an actual book. I took my life as a villainess and I cut it up and I decoupaged a lampshade. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's in the guest room at my office around the corner so that's the closest I've come to doing anything like that but it was a fantasy you know I think we I think book people it's possible to love books as books and to love them also as objects I know that I do you know I'm looking at your beautiful room behind you where the books are arrayed and you know by color and that's so gorgeous I mean books are beautiful and that short story, the book thing, is literally a contemplation on, is it the book or is it about what's in the book? And can you love both? And I think I come down on the side of, you can love both, Mm -hmm. you know, and I don't get upset when I see someone on social media has made an art object out of a book. I don't feel like that is a, a travesty, you know, because heck, you know, there are books all over the place that are being badly treated right now and turning one into an art object seems to me to be a perfect, because it's not like the book isn't taken forever out of circulation. Right. There's so many ways to read right now. And it's just as like, as a published writer, someone says, I'm getting your book out of the library. Do you mind? I'm like, no, the library paid for it. I don't mind if you get it out of the library. I don't mind if you borrow it from a friend. I don't mind if you, you found it in a little free library. The only thing I mind as a writer is out and out piracy. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't approve of that. And I don't think that's a good idea. But, you know, I don't care how my books get into people's hands. I don't care how people treat my books. I mean, I have books. I'm literally reading a book where last night the front cover fell off. <laughs> it's, a, it's a very old book. I'm, I'm actually reading the autobiography of Gypsy Rose Lee for the first time. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I, I, I thought I had read it, but I clearly never had. And it's like a really old true pocketbook paperback and the cover just fell off that happens you know books are old you know I read in the bathtub so I'm not precious about books I collected first editions for a while and I stopped because that seemed odd to me to have a book that I would ever worry about taking off the shelf I mean I'm glad for the ones that I have and some of them are very dear to me but then it was like I kind of grew out of that idea that a, an idea of a book that can't be held and opened, that's crazy to me. Yeah. Or you have to put gloves on or something to turn the pages, some of these art books. And I have two books that a friend of mine gave me, I think it was my 21st birthday. It was some birthday of import, but we were really young. I treat those two books. They're over right over there in the brown section. Where's the browns? Anyway, I, I have never lost them. Like no matter how many moves, no matter where I've gone in my life, because I'm like these two books that this guy gave me. I wonder if he knows. I see him still all the time. I should t- tell him I still have those books. But what there is something you, special. Can you share the titles? Yeah, they're psychology related because I was very into psychology. I wanted to be a psychologist back then. Um, hold on, I'm going to go grab them. Hold on. Ah, cool. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. Yeah. So this one is... How to Read Character, Handbook of Physiology, Phrenology, and Physiognomy, illustrated with a descriptive chart. And look how old this is. I had a feeling, well, when you hear phrenology, you realize you're talking about Oh, yeah, about look at this. Yeah, 21. Zib, hope this book serves as a good lesson in bad psychology. Congratulations on 21. This is from 822-1997. So this is 
come with me everywhere. And then this other one, let's see, from the Northwestern Library, The Harp Weaver and Other Poems. This is interesting. It's Who wrote the har- is, it, is it one poet or is it a collection of poetry? This is a collect, it looks like, hold on, this is the Ballad of the Harp Weaver. What is this? <laughs> and Other Poems by Edna St. Vincent Millay. Oh, I should have known it was, I don't, I don't know my poetry, so. I wonder why this one I seem to have really responded to in some way because I've written all over it or someone wrote all over it. The Ballad of the Harp Weaver. I wonder why. I'm going to read this after this. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh my gosh. It's from, it was taken out of the Northwestern University Library on July 22nd, 1938. Copyright 1920. Pretty cool. Anyway. Very cool. All right. Well, anyway. <laughs> Of course, the reason I asked you about this is this is a scene in, in one of the stories that I found so interesting because it was sort of the whole story was like a love letter to books in and of itself, right? It's if you steal a book, what does that mean about you? Who would want to steal a book? Why? What does it mean to free the insides of the book? I found that really interesting too. Like, can the characters be freed? Should they be out? It's just all such an interesting concept. But of course, you made it in your traditional, you know, mystery uncovering the facts, you know, here I am on my bicycle, figuring it out. So, you know, you're like, <laughs> you're like going along, trying to solve the mystery at the same time. So I just love that story. Thank you. Was there some walker in your neighborhood that inspired the main character? There are a couple of sort of famous walkers in Baltimore. There, there were people I saw walking all the time and I, I didn't know anything about them. And now I'm one of them. That's kind of the weird thing to contemplate is I don't, think about myself that way but I've been getting up now for a year and a half and walking every day at sunrise and since last December I've been trying to walk at least five miles a day wow so I'm out there I don't get the whole five miles done in the morning that's not going to be possible but every morning I walk at least two to three miles right around sunrise and I see runners and I see dog walkers and I can't tell if anyone recognizes me as a regular on the route because it's hard for me. <laughs> there are a couple of runners I recognize because their gait is so distinctive and I can recognize the dog walkers by the dogs, but we're all so bundled up right now that that's about the best I can do. But yeah, I'm sure someone's like, who's that odd woman who's always stalking around the harbor taking photographs with the Domino Sugar sign? What's that about? Don't you get scared? I mean, I feel like you're like the your whole work is like, what if, like, what if you don't, like you always, yeah. the, there's, I, like, I, I you got scared. scared on your own. I get scared sometimes. I got scared this morning because it was relatively early and relatively dark. And there was a man whose movements seemed to be changing his mind changed. And I think it was all innocuous and nothing happened, but I'm, I'm pretty careful. I'm pretty careful. I know where I go to feel safe. There are almost always people out. And I actually make a running joke on social media about seeing white vans on the route, which, you know, just seems like the ultimate kidnapping van. <laughs> and I won't go anywhere near a white van. Like one day there is a white van parked with the motor running and it was between me and a beautiful vantage point for which I wanted to take a photograph. And I'm like, Mm-mm, no. If I have to walk around a white van to get somewhere, I'm not going. 
I dated someone who drove a white van at one point <laughs> and he like came to visit my family, like outside of the city once. And everyone was like, what, who, what's going on here? Like who, what, who's, what? <laughs> white panel van. You gotta, you gotta be careful. Yeah. It's so funny. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, I dog-eared so much of this story for the first story, but let's talk about, I also loved your last story, Just One More. Why don't you talk about the inspiration for that, which of course is (laughs) what goes wrong when you and your husband get bored and decide to play on dating apps, basically. (laughs) So with the exception of that story, all the other stories in the collection had been written and published previously, some in very obscure places. But they had been written, I believe, from, I think it was 2007 through 2019. That was this lifespan of the other stories. And then when my publisher agreed to do a collection, I said, but please, you know, write a new almost novella-length story because everything else has been published before. So I was happy to do that. And we were about six months into the pandemic when I started working on that story. and it was a hard time to think about anything but our current life, how things were. And one of the things that interests me about the pandemic is it already seems to have been many pandemics. We were like in, by my estimation, we're in at least our third era. You know, there was February or March of 2020 until early 2021. And then as people began to get vaccinated, we entered a different phase And then with Omicron and breakthrough infections, we entered yet another phase, and I'm sure there will be phases to come. So by the time I started writing just one more, we were kind of coming to the end of that first phase, or it certainly had become familiar. And there were things that I I wanted to touch on, like menu planning and walking. I mean, all of the things, all of the quotidian things in that story are things that I did. I, you know, I went walking for a friend with a friend. And in the early days, we would actually talk on our cell phones because no one knew anything. And we were like on opposite sides of the street. And she's a doctor who specializes in infectious diseases. And everybody was watching a lot of television. I think that I'm pretty fair to say. And I'm a huge Columbo fan. And when I realized that it was just historically accurate that the Peacock streaming service made all of the Columbo episodes available in April of 2020. I was like, oh, I have to do something with that. As I said, I'm a huge Columbo fan. I own all of the original NBC Columbos on DVD. And I'm fascinated by the ones that appeared years later on ABC because I think they're actually quite bad. And, mm. But I can't tell you why. I like, I watch them and, and part of it is because they fiddled with the formula too much. And part of it is that I think they really cut the budget a lot. I, I, it doesn't, the thing I love about the NBC Columbos is that the world that you move through really does look like super rich people and the restaurants and the homes and all of the details. You're like, wow, these people are rich. And it doesn't feel that way when you get into the, the, ones that they made for ABC in the late 80s into the 90s into, I forget, I was surprised at how how recent, relatively recent the last Columbo was. So I love Columbo. I love the idea of trying to write about the pandemic. And if you watched 
certain channels on TV. I mean, I'm, you know, I watch a lot of Bravo. I watch a lot of Lifetime. I'm not embarrassed. <laughs> you, you see these ads for dating apps all the time. And I have a lot of young friends and they're on the apps. And this was just a completely foreign world to me that I didn't know anything about. So I was fascinated by that too. And, you know, I'm always interested in hubris, you know, the hubris of the happily married couple that, you know, on some level, when this couple talks about, let's try out an app and see if it matches us and, you know, comes up with the rules of the game so it won't be too easy. How hubristic is that? I mean, it's kind of smug. Mm-hmm. You know, exactly as in the, you know, Bridget Jones' diary, the smug marries. Yes. And they're, they're like doubly smug because in the pandemic, it's a really hard time to be alone. And, you know, I know that because I have, I, I, my, I have a lot of really young friends. So I feel like I'm getting bulletins, reports from people in their 20s, people in their 30s, et cetera, et cetera. And I know a lot about their lives and I find it interesting and I don't feel the least bit smug or hubristic about it. I was actually very touched watching people who are living alone, trying to find a way to get through the pandemic that wasn't too lonely, too scary, you know, that had the human companionship that some of us took for granted. Wow. Yeah, I know. There's always this thing with dating apps, it's like the, the, there's no end to possibility, right? Like, how could that even be? Like, it's, you just keep going. You could just keep going forever. And what also, does that mean? Yeah. And there's no science to it. That I Later, after, long after I finished the short story, I read Nancy Jo Sale's book. I'm mm-hmm. very bad about book titles, but I loved her book. Really canny combination of memoir and reporting. Yeah. And when she goes into that section about how there is literally no data that shows that dating apps are effective, <laughs> that's so interesting to me. And people are just like, well, this is how it's done now. And I'm sort of like, what if you just don't? I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I'm, I, it's, not, it's not relevant to my life. My daughter and I have just started watching How I Met Your Father. And it's so interesting that since How I Met Your Mother, which was a show that existed in a world, although it ended in 2014, where there was essentially no dating apps, although they existed at the time, but they're not really shown in the show. Now you start from the premise that, of course, everybody is on dating apps. It's just, is this not the world I want for my daughter? I have to admit, I hope things change and they probably will change, but not for the better. (laughs) I have someone I'm very close to who's on a dating app. And, you know, I I think with COVID, I feel like she feels safer that way, right? Like she can't go to a big crowd and... That makes sense. Right? So I don't know where it will end up, but I feel like at least for this time, there's hope, right? There's... Yeah. It's the hope of connection. and But it does sound like a total game to me. Like the way you have to play I mean, it and, you know. It's it's a variation of Candy Crush. I mean, it's just yeah. because yeah. all these things on our phones, what they have in common is what they do to our brain. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I say that as someone who is a little bit too into Twitter, but that's, I, I went through a phase where I killed every non-essential app off my phone and even my Gmail 
And I remember I was on business and I got to a hotel and they couldn't find my confirmation number. And I'm like, trying, I was like, I can't, do, I was like, I'm going to have to put my, I'm going to have to put my, so I put my mail back on there and I put Twitter back on there, but that's pretty much it for me. I'm largely disengaged from Facebook. I haven't shut it down because I reach too many readers there. So I keep the account open and it, I kind of do bare service, minimal service to it. For whatever reason, Instagram is like a language I can't speak. Mm. Even though my Twitter account is extremely media heavy and people are always like, this should be an Instagram account. I'm like, I can't, mm. I, I don't, I don't get, I, I, I don't speak it. I don't yeah. scroll it. I, I'm fascinated by it. I recently listened to Joe Piazza's wonderful podcast, Under the Influence, which is all mm-hmm. about mom influencers. Yep. And it was so interesting to me. I mean, the main thing, my, my main takeaway is that the hilarious thing about Twitter is that it can't be monetized. Like, you know, <laughs> maybe a few people, I mean, maybe like people with millions of followers might be able to get paid for tweeting about things, but it's so like Twitter is really like the place where you give it away for free. And I know. <laughs> John Waters, the the film director, who whom I know, he's like, you know, no, why would you, you know, why would you do that? Why would you give away your writing for free? And it's actually really out of character for me. My father hated writing for free. And it kind of instilled in me that same value, which is you should be paid to write. And I just finished a week of teaching a writer's workshop that I've been teaching every year since 2006. The difference being that this year I taught it virtually and I taught the personal essay for the first time. And I talked to my students a lot about trying not to write for free, trying to get people to pay you for your words, however minimally, because they have value and they, the content is something that people want. So they should be paying for it and you shouldn't be throwing it up for free. And yet, you know, there I'm on Twitter every day, giving away at least, you know, 280 characters a day. <laughs> I was just listening, or I wasn't really, but I was in the car with my husband who was listening to Colin Cowherd. I don't know. He's a big sports talk show guy. and Yeah. Yeah. yeah I know. Radio guy. Yeah. So he was saying, literally he was saying yesterday that he's like, whenever I run into people on the street who know who I am or whatever, they are the nicest people. They come up to me, they say nice things. They just couldn't be better. It makes me feel so good. He's like, on Twitter, no one's ever said a nice thing. <laughs> No, that's, yeah, it's really interesting because I have managed to live in a relatively benign pocket on Twitter Mm -hmm. and I can't quite figure it out. Part of it is that I don't see tweets by people who don't follow me. Mm, So if you set up your filter that way, but that's not enough because I know so many women who get dogpiled on and who get mansplained all the time. And I think it's because they're writing about far more serious things than I'm writing about. You know, for example, I'm thinking of one of my friends who is an expert on Ukraine. She just is. She's young. She's very young and she's very beautiful. And I think that is part of the reason that men love to dunk on her. It's like, how could you know about you? And it's like, she's, dude, she's an expert. She's like, she's, she's the former disinformation fellow at the Wilson Center. So I know it's not something that the person, the account holder can really control for, 
But for whatever reason, probably because I never talk about the news and I'm relatively silly, I've managed for the most part to stay out of people's firing range. And when people are mean to me, I just ignore them. Mm-hmm. I mean, someone would have to say something so inaccurate or libelous for me to respond. What I always do is when someone's being a little jerky, I check their follower count and I usually decide all I'm doing is amplifying someone who has almost no attention to begin with. And I mute. I don't even block. I just mute people. Like I, you know, I'm not interested and people mm-hmm. never know when you mute them. So that's my, that's, that's my control. Interesting. I didn't even know what mute was. I, I feel yeah. like you on Twitter, like I don't understand Twitter. Like I don't go on there. I don't read it. I post like updates and then I get right off. Like I'm scared. I, it's like I, I open the door, I feel the cold air and then I slam it shut and I run the other way. <laughs> Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes we all have stuff we need to get off our chests. Even if we don't think it's interfering with our daily life, there are some things you just haven't processed, be it grief or trauma, eating disorders, anything. It might be time to work on those things, and I have a solution for you. Therapy. Online therapy by BetterHelp. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. I took the brief questionnaire online where there were, I don't know, 20 questions. It didn't take long at all, maybe three minutes. And then I got matched with a therapist who could help me work on whatever. I picked trauma because even though it happened in 2001, I am somehow still not over the loss of my friend on 9-11. And it is what it is. BetterHelp is going to help And I am so excited, especially because with my special code, instead of $80 a month, it is 10% off, $72 a month, which is so much less than traditional therapy. And you'll get a perfect therapist for you. There are 35,000 therapists to choose from, so you'll find the right one. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash moms don't have time today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash moms don't have time. Well, I always tell all writers that when it comes to social media, the one thing you should do is whatever feels natural to you. Mm -hmm. And I know like at one point my publisher was like, you know, Instagram is where it is. You should be on Instagram. And I was like, you know, was like at that point, I was like, I said, I've gone from Facebook to Twitter. Twitter just works for me. It's, it's a happy place for me. And when it's not, I'll leave it. But for now it's a place that I've made 
friends. I made tons of friends on Twitter and met them in real life. It's, I mean, it's amazing. I feel like I've met Instagram friends. I had someone stay over last summer. My kids were like, I thought we weren't supposed to meet people on the internet. (laughs) (laughs) Except when you are. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. So funny. Wow. Well, now I'm going to investigate muting and thank you for that. But I think it's like working out. It's like people say you should do whatever it is regularly that you actually want to do and will do, right? Look at you and walking. It's like someone could tell me to walk five miles a day and I would I would just like laugh, you know, it's much easier for me to do a workout on an app or I don't know, something where yeah. I'm in one place. Anyway, well, I'm glad that all of this inspired this, this, this final novella of yours <laughs> in seasonal work. You know, this collection, I loved your memoir, My Life as a Villainess, which I read last summer. I remember where I was because part of the time I was like, it was so hot and I was in a pool and I was holding it like this and I would just walk. I was just walking back and forth and back and forth holding your book, which was fantastic. This, of course, is coming at a much colder time of year, so I wouldn't dare, but but I love your writing and I love how you engage our brains and our senses at the same time and, and it's like such a treat. So anyway, congratulations on this book. And I'm just curious, so what what after this? What what else should I expect? You know, I only write short stories when someone asks me to, which is an embarrassing thing to admit, but every story in that collection, except for the last one, was solicited. It was like, will you write this for this collection? And that's how it works. I'm working on a novel. I think it's going to be finished by, I I know it's going to be finished by this spring, which will mean that I will have been working on it for almost 18 months, which is a long time for me, but it was a tricky one. And it was inspired while I was walking while listening to a podcast. And I'm I'm a huge fan of podcasts. You, when you walk as much as I do, you just need a lot of, you need a lot to listen to. <laughs> and one of my favorites is called You're Wrong About, which used to have two co-hosts, but it's now the host is Sarah Marshall. And the idea is to take a sensational topic, which is to say one that was very much in the news at some point, and to examine how much we didn't really know about it. I mean, Sarah Marshall, who's Mm -hmm. the host, sort of came into prominence as a person who liked to revisit the stories of of difficult women, Tanya Harding Mm -hmm. being one of the Mm -hmm. first. And one day I was walking along and I was listening to a podcast that had the title Prom Mom. And it covered a couple of cases that involved young women who had delivered babies either during or before approximate to a big dance. And the line that jumped out at me, and I'm pretty sure Sarah said it, and Sarah has since become a friend. You talk about Sarah and I have never met face to face. We hope to someday. She lives in Portland, Oregon. I live in Baltimore. But we met on Twitter (laughs) And we began having like long phone calls during my walks. Sarah was like, I'll come on your walk with you. So I've gotten to know her. But at the time, I was just, you know, one of her many fans. And she said something that I thought was so interesting, which was that when you're a teenage girl, you you don't know your body at all. It is absolutely, completely understandable that a girl could be pregnant in denial about it, not really know what's going on. That, you know, we tend to see these stories through this almost nefarious lens of cold-hearted, almost sociopathic girl ignores the reality and has no. But when Sarah said that, something really clicked in my head. I was really interested in this idea 
of a young woman who would just have no real idea of what was happening to her and how, you know, or would be in denial about it. And then I just started reading, I got online and I began reading about some of the more notorious cases. And I discovered that in one case, the now grown woman, now grown man had met again via Facebook and were friends. And that just fascinated me. Just the idea of, okay, so who are you 20 years after this? Who do you become? Does anyone remember this about you? Can you ever stop being prom mom? And that was the book I decided to write. And it set maybe inevitably. And this is an interesting choice that writers are making right now. Are you going to acknowledge the pandemic or not acknowledge the pandemic? Are you just going to set your work before the pandemic and thereby bypass it. My friend, Megan Abbott, who's one of my favorite writers, we were having this conversation recently and she said, well, you know, my work takes place in kind of a timeless universe. And she's right about that. Megan's novels take place in sort of a less specific now where things are like our world, but it's interesting what's not there. And so she can kind of do that. I don't think I can, and I'm com- I was coming off of having written a novel that took place right before the pandemic. And the two novels before that were, one was set in 1995, one was set in 1966. And I decided just to like, you know, go ahead and set this against the backdrop of the pandemic. And the idea is to remind people that as much as the pandemic and politics and January 6th and these things are in the forefront of the news, they're not in the forefront of our lives necessarily. They're mm-hmm. things that we adjust to. So it's very much the backdrop. And I'm, I've, the book is, is pretty solid. I mean, the last third needs a ton of work, but I've, I've more or less written the book and I'm, I was working on the early sections this morning. And one of the things I'm trying to do is avoid anything that sounds like foreshadowing when it comes to the mm-hmm. pandemic. I want people hurtling through life with the same expectation, especially when, when they're in the sections of like fall of 2019 or January and February of 2019, I don't want people to see what's coming because I didn't see what was coming. Most of the people I know don't. I think to the extent that I know people who anticipated what this is going to be like, it's just because they were temperamentally inclined to be wildly pessimistic. <laughs> you know, I don't think they were wiser than other people. I just think they were, you know, more apt to be downers. And so as I was going through this morning, I'm like this, I'm, as I work on this, I'm being very careful to excise any sentence that suggests a hint of what's to come. Like I had a character saying 2020 was going to be a great year. I'm mm-hmm. like, no, that's two no. on the note. <laughs> At the, at the same time, I have a character, and this is like based on something real, or like I, you know, where she's like, I wonder what numerologists say about 2020. And it was, I found some article in Cosmo that's like, it's going to be a great year. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so I'm, I'm interested in the idea that we will see this as backdrop and that people still went ahead and led their lives and still had concerns and preoccupations that the pandemic may have a Affected, but it, it's not the tail that's wagging the dog. It's like, I want this person who I can't have. I'm trying to make this business venture that 
looks like it's not going to go through. It's just like people are just moving around, motivated by their usual desires and dreams and ambitions. And there happens to be a pandemic. Got it. So, and I, the working title is Prom Mom. Oh, I love that. I'm glad you did that because I was thinking that's a great title for a book. <laughs> anyway, Laura, thank you so much. Thank you for chatting. Oh, I'm gonna always. now. I'm gonna just read your stuff on Twitter because I don't know what to do when I'm on there. So anyway, I'm going to, I'm going to quietly, you know, tiptoe into your realm and, and your nice quiet corner of, of, of it's, supportive people. <laughs> it's basically yeah. two things. It's basically a, a photograph taken every morning on my walk. And then once, maybe twice a week, there's a selfie because early during the pandemic, inspired by Rachel Sim of the New Yorker, I dressed up for a day. She actually sponsored something called Fashion, but from a distance. <laughs> and I found it so, so cheering that I did it. I started doing it every day and I started putting on nice clothes every day. And I still do. I actually get dressed every day and it's become kind of like a running joke. Like yesterday I posted a photograph of me headed to therapy because I always really get dressed up for therapy. And there's always usually a joke about that, but yeah, that's that's how I use Twitter. Really, really helping the world there. <laughs> I got dressed today. I feel like yeah, once a week I try to like put on a necklace or something. I don't know. Every so often. I was having trouble writing the other day, and I was like, "You are having trouble writing because you have not put on your nice clothes yet." And I went upstairs and I got dressed, and it did improve everything. <laughs> wow, that's awesome. Okay, well, who knew? <laughs> All right, Laura, thank you so much. Thanks for seasonal work. Always a pleasure, and I hope to Always. see you back for prom mom. <laughs> Thanks, Zibby. Take care. Right. Bye, Laura. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 